0: Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, and kind of wondering what we have for kids' worship at this time. The preschoolers and below can go to kids' worship. The rest of you can open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Our world is fascinated with Jesus, he still remains the most popular figure. In all of history, more movies, more books, more works of art, everything in this culture still has a fascination with Jesus, but yet, at the same time, there's so much confusion over who Jesus truly is. Jesus shows up in the movies. About six, seven years back, you had the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown where Jesus was supposedly married to Mary Magdalene and they had a child who was the heir to the French throne. Many years back, you had Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. It was a, a blockbuster. Two years ago, more than a hundred and million people watched the Bible miniseries, *Aroma Downey's Bible miniseries. It was on television that portrayed the life of Christ. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, prayed to the little baby Jesus in the Gold fleece diapers. You've got the baby Jesus. Neil Saavedra has a nationwide syndicated radio program in Los Angeles called The Jesus Christ Show. You may have even listened to it on Sunday mornings. I don't, but he basically plays the role of Jesus and pretends like he's Jesus and answers callers' questions as they call in and ask him questions. 2012 Newsweek had a magazine cover with a hipster Jesus. Jesus had a crown of thorns and he was wearing flannel, walking kind of through Times Square as this non-threatening Jesus. The title of the Newsweek article was Forget Church, Follow Jesus. Kanye West is very famous for having images of, of Jesus in his music. Back in 2004, his song Jesus Walks is what catapulted him onto the charts and he showed up on the cover of Rolling Stone wearing a crown of thorns. A few years ago, he released an album, and one of the songs is called I Am God, and he said this, I know he the most high, but I am a close high. On his concert tour, he has a Jesus impersonator that gets on stage with him and performs as Jesus, and he explained this, Kanye West said this, one of the things I wanted to get across is that you can have a relationship with Jesus, that you can talk to Jesus. Now, I could go on and on about how Jesus shows up in pop culture. Music, movies, literature, magazines. It's all around us, this whole idea of who Jesus is. But let's just make it a little bit more personal this morning. Let's talk about us within the church. Let's talk about Christians for a moment. Do we have a biblical view of Jesus? Do we know who Jesus truly is? Is your view of Jesus more informed by pop? Culture or by the Bible? We're starting a new sermon series this morning through the book of John. And I'm excited to preach through John because it is my, one of my favorite books of the Bible. And so I'm really excited that we're going through this book together. And so the Scottish pastor, Eric Alexander, sometimes I listen to him, this is what he said about the gospel of John. I thought it's a very interesting image. He said this about the gospel of John. It's a pool where a child can paddle while at the same time an elephant can swim. Now what do I mean by that? The Gospel of John is probably some of the most familiar and cherished Bible stories that our kids love. You've got John 3.16. A child can love and understand the Gospel of John, but at the same time, it's got some deep theology that even an elephant can swim in the pool and the richness of the Gospel of John. And so as we go through this sermon series, we're titling it Rooted in Jesus. Rooted in Jesus. Now what comes to mind... When you think of the imagery, roots. When you when you take when you get rooted or you or you get rooted into something, what what's what's the imagery there? You you get deep into it. You, you go solid into it. It becomes a foundation to you. That that's what the, that's what I hope to happen over the next months and maybe even a year together. That we would be rooted in Jesus. Colossians two six through seven says this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Being rooted in Jesus. Even in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses this analogy of being rooted in him. John 15, 5, we'll get to this a long ways down the road, but Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing nothing rooted in Jesus now why are we going to study the gospel of John why John well in the gospel of John we're going to see the glories of who Christ truly is we're going to see Christ in action we're going to learn about who he is theologically who he is what he's done his power and all the things surrounded to the glories of Christ John actually gives the purpose of his book at the end of the book Oftentimes, students, let me just give you a little bit of a warning. If you're going to write a paper and turn it into a professor or a teacher, don't put your thesis at the end of your paper. Put it at the beginning so your teacher knows where you're going when you write a paper. John doesn't do that. Now, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so he can do whatever he wants. But at the end of the Bible, the end of the Gospel of John, he gives his purpose. In John 20, 31, John writes this. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose for his gospel. That we would believe, we would trust, we we would wholeheartedly embrace Jesus Christ and by doing so, we would have life in his name. Not just abundant life here on earth, but eternal life in heaven. That we would know, believe, respond to, worship Jesus. Now we need to start with an introductory question as we approach the gospel of John. If you've read John, you notice a lot different than the other three gospels. The other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means through the same lens or through the same eye, and so they're very similar, a lot of the same stories. But when you come to the Gospel of John, it's very different. It starts very different. It starts with this deeply theological prologue. One of the things that you don't find in the Gospel of John is you don't find a Mary and Joseph story. You don't find the shepherds, you don't find the wise men. It just kind of starts with this deep theology. I mean, Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, and you have the Mary and Joseph story, you have the shepherds, you have the wise men. Mark starts with John the Baptist and has Jesus preaching. Uh, Luke starts with the birth narratives, the announcement of, of, of Mary and Joseph that Jesus is going to be born, but not in John. There's no Mary and Joseph. There's no Bethlehem. There's no shepherds. There's no wise men. He just starts And where he starts is very deep. He starts with what's called the prologue. It's the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. It's called the prologue. And he sets the stage. And let me give you two images here that might help you understand what a prologue is. The introduction. When you came in this morning, you walked through the foyer to get to the sanctuary. What's the purpose of a foyer? When you came through the foyer, you were hopefully greeted by somebody. You were hopefully given a bulletin. You, you had a welcome center table where there was some information. You may have seen some posters on the wall telling you some things about the church. A foyer is to help you if you're new to get acclimated to where you are before you get, come to the main event. Now, if, you're, if, you're, if you've been coming to Emmanuel forever, you just walk past the foyer and you come in and you plop down. But for a new person, the foyer kind of helps you get situated. And so the gospel of John's prologue, the introduction, is to help us to kind of get situated. Where's John going? How do we get our bearings straight? What's going on here? So, So image number one, the prologue of John is like a foyer to the rest of the book. Another image that may be helpful is an overture. You guys know what an overture is? If you go to a musical or you go to a concert or you go to a symphony, the overture is the piece of music that they play before the real symphony starts an overture introduces you to a lot of the themes in the music it's kind of the setup it helps you get your bearing straight and so that's what john does he gives us a prologue a foyer an overture to help us get our bearing straight before we jump in but here's the problem the overture the foyer the prologue's pretty deep so we're going to be jumping into the deep end of the water that's because that's the way john starts But here's the thing about John. One thing that I love about John, if you read the Gospel of John, if you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation, there's no ambiguity with John. John tells it like it is. He wants us to know absolutely who Jesus is without any doubts. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. John is going to say, here's the gauntlet. I'm showing you from the very beginning. Here's Jesus, who Jesus is. You've got to deal with it. You've got to come to grips with who Christ is. So with that being said, let's read the prologue together. We're going to spend many weeks on the prologue because it, it sets the stage. We're just going to look at the first two verses this morning, but I want to read the entire prologue to give you the feel of the entryway into the gospel of John. So John 1-1 through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John bore witness about him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from him is fullness. We have now all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. We're just going to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, there's many ways that we could take the the passage of Scripture this morning, but here's what I believe that that we need to understand this morning. And here's basically the main point of where we're going to be going over the next few weeks. It's simply this. In an age of spiritual confusion, you need to know the true Jesus in order to love and obey him properly. Would you agree we live in an age of spiritual confusion? Yes. You and I need to know the true Jesus. Not a Jesus as a figment of our imagination, not the pop culture Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible, so that we can worship him and love him and serve him properly. And so from these first two verses, we really see three huge theological truths that emerge three huge truths that you and I absolutely have to believe if we're going to understand who the true Jesus is. Three big ticket items. So here's the first. First of all, Jesus has always existed as the eternal son of God. Jesus has always existed as the eternal son of God. How does how does Genesis begin? Genesis 1, one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How does John 1.1 1, 1 begin? In the beginning was the word. Now, you may think, well, that's maybe a coincidence. No, it's not. John purposely ties the Genesis account to the opening of John because a lot of the themes will come through there. Creation, light, life. But here's a huge question that maybe you're asking. Why does John use the term word to describe Jesus? In the beginning was the word. Why doesn't he just say in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why does he use the word word? Have you ever thought about that? Why why didn't he just say Jesus? Well, I want you to think about the importance of that for a moment. Very, very important. How did God... Create the heavens and the earth. Did he snap his fingers? Did he wave a magic wand? Did he challenge some angels to do the grunt work to throw the cosmos together? How did God create? He spoke his word. God spoke creation into existence. When you go back and you read the Old Testament, it's very important to see that God's word did two things. God's word. Here's the first thing that God's word does. God's word expresses his very essence and nature. Who God is, is his word. Psalm 33:6: 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Now, I want you to be personal for a moment. Think about your words for a moment. Your own words. How are your own words produced? Where do your words come from? They come from your heart. They come from your mind. They come from your soul. Everything that you are comes out of your even breath, and you speak those words. Those are your words, nobody else's words. Now, if somebody wants to copy you, they can say your words, but when you speak, when you share, it's it's who you are. It's your voice, it's your vocal cords, it's your breath, it's your ideas, it's your thoughts. So when you speak, it's an extension of who you are. Everything about you comes out in your speech. Same thing with God. When God speaks, his very essence and character comes out and reveals who he is. Think about what God's word has done in the Bible. With his words, he created the universe. Genesis 1:3. God said let there be light and there was light god said it with his words he entered into a covenant with abraham genesis 15:1 after these things the word of the lord came to abram in a vision fear not abram i am your shield your reward shall be very great With his words, God entered into a covenant with Moses and the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments, gave them the Ten Words. Exodus 24, 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. With his words, God spoke through the prophets of Israel. How many times did a prophet say, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, to Hosea, or Malachi, or Isaiah? With his words, he gives us wisdom, and light, and direction, and guidance. Psalm one nineteen one oh five: 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and to a light unto my path. Every time God wants to express who he is, how he relates to people, what his covenant is, what his law is, he uses words. And so it's no surprise that when John wants to convey who Jesus is, he's called the Word because Jesus conveys the very essence and expression of who God is. He's the living Word. But not only does God's word express his very essence and character, but the other thing we see about God's word, number two, God's word is powerful and performative. It accomplishes his will. Isaiah 55, 10-11 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth. This is God speaking. It, my word, shall not return to me empty, but it, my word, shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it, my word. Every time God speaks his word, it performs and does something and obeys. Now think about Jesus for a moment. If Jesus is the word... He is the full expression of who who God is, and he's going to perfectly perform the power of God. We're going to see that all through the Gospel of John. Jesus is going to show us who God is, and Jesus is going to powerfully perform God's word as the living word. So it's very important that John uses this Old Testament concept of God's word to describe Jesus. Jesus is the very essence of God, and he's the very power of God, And he's the very character of God in the flesh. Now, I want you to pay close attention. You don't get this in your English text, but in your Greek text, if you know Greek, the word was. In the beginning, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Okay, was is basic past tense action, right? Now, I can say to you, Yesterday, I was at the store. Last week, I was excited that the Broncos won. I was in Denver this past week. Okay. I, I was there. But do you realize that there was a time where I was not in Denver, and I got to Denver. There was a time where I was not at the store, but then I went to the store. There was a time where the Broncos weren't playing, and then they were playing, and then I was, I was happy. You understand what I'm saying? That's not the word that's used here that John uses to talk about Jesus. It's in a Greek tense that's very important. It's in a Greek tense that means continual action in the past. Here's how it can be translated. In the beginning, Jesus always was. He has always existed. There never was a time where Jesus wasn't. He always was. He's always existed. He is eternal. He never came into being. He was never created. He's always existed. Now there's a child that comes up to me almost every Sunday after church and this child knows who she is and she asks me some very important theological questions every week, almost every week. And it's always the questions like this. Who created God? Or maybe she'll ask, who are God's parents? And I always tell her the same thing. God doesn't have parents. Nobody created God. God has always been there. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around something that's always been there. Same with Jesus. Jesus has always been there. There's never a time where Jesus was created. There's never a time where Jesus came into existence. He always was. He's always existed in eternity past as the eternal Son of God. Now, many modern-day cults, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, they did not believe this. They believe Jesus was created or he came into existence. The Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible says in this passage, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God, lowercase g. Because in their theology, they see Jesus as being created. There's an ancient heresy that was around in the early days of Christianity. Arius was a pastor from Alexandria, Egypt, And in the 300s A.D., he widely popularized this view that Jesus was created, Jesus came into being, and Jesus was not actually God. And it got pretty popular, so much so that it was denounced as a heresy at the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 325. It's called Arianism, based upon Arius. And so here's the truth, number one. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've got to believe That Jesus is the eternal Son of God who's always existed. He's not been created. He didn't come into being. He has always existed as the Son of God in eternity past, in the beginning, was the Word. He's always existed. And so here's the issue. If you don't believe this, you're not worshiping the true Jesus. You're not worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. And if you're not worshiping the true Jesus, then you have to question the fact that, do I really have true salvation? If I'm not believing in who Jesus truly is. In an age of spiritual confusion, you and I need to know who the true Jesus is so that we can worship him and obey him properly. So that's number one. Jesus has always existed as the eternal son of God. Here's number two. In the beginning was the word, but here's the second phrase there. The word was with God. Okay, here's the second truth. Jesus is not the same person as the father but shares intimate fellowship with the Father. you got to track with me here for a moment. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus has always existed. The Word was, what does your text say? With God. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you're by yourself, are you with anybody? Now, I, could, I could say, hey, yesterday I was with myself at the store, and we had a really good time. You'd think, oh, there, you got some problems, Sean. When you're with somebody, that means there's somebody else there that you're with. You're not with yourself. You're by yourself, but you're not with yourself. The the little preposition that John uses there, pros, means face-to-face, close companionship, intimate fellowship. It could be translated at home or close to. So think about it this way. In eternity past, Jesus had intimate face-to-face fellowship, with the father jesus is not the same person as the father there's two distinct persons but they share this face-to-face intimacy this closeness now it's important because this is foundational to the doctrine of the trinity we do not worship many gods but we also don't worship one god who plays many roles let me give you an example there's one man named bruce wayne and at night he dresses as a dark knight and plays batman but he's still the same man, right? One man playing two roles. It's not two different people. That's not the way it is with God. It's not like God plays one role and the Father, he plays another role as the Son, and he plays another role as the Holy Spirit. That's an ancient heresy called modalism. God displays himself in three modes. And so basically they would say something like this. In the Old Testament... It was God the Father. God played the role of Father in the Old Testament. In the time of the Gospels, God played the role of Jesus. Now after Pentecost, God plays the role of the Holy Spirit. So it's one God playing three different roles. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's one God, three distinct persons. Jesus is a distinct person from the Father. Now think about Jesus' baptism for a moment. What happened at Jesus' baptism? We see this in Matthew 3, 16-17. And when Jesus was baptized, <clears throat> immediately he went up from out of the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, now picture in your mind Jesus' baptism. Jesus is physically there in a body on planet Earth. He's being baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and then a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, unless Jesus was a ventriloquist and through his voice, you have two distinct people talking to one another. The father is talking to his son. Jesus can't talk to himself and so there's three distinct persons. There there are three distinct persons in the Trinity and we're gonna get to that as we continue through this. And here's what you've got. If you deny Jesus was eternally the Son of God, you fall into the heresy of Arianism. If you deny that Jesus is the same person as the Father, you, you fall into the heresy of modalism. And so these first two issues in, chapter, in, in verse 1 teach that Jesus is eternally the Son of God and that he's a distinct person from the Father but shares intimacy with the Father. But, but yet, John takes it one step further. It's one thing to say Jesus has always existed. It's one thing to say Jesus is separate from the Father. But it almost sounds like John contradicts himself, but he does not. Look at the last phrase there in verse 1. And the Word was God. It's another thing for Jesus to actually be God. So that's the third truth. Jesus is fully God. Now, John could have used a different Greek word to describe Jesus being divine. He could have said, Jesus is divine. He doesn't do that. He said, the word was God. Not the word was divine, but the word was God. Think about Greek mythology. Some of you guys know Greek mythology. Zeus, he's like the father God, right, in in Greek mythology. And he has a son named Apollos. And Apollos is a god, and Apollos has divine attributes, but Apollos is not Zeus, Apollos is not God. He doesn't share equality with God. That's not what John is saying here. John is saying that everything that God is, Jesus is, Jesus is fully God. He's a distinct person from the Father, but he shares all deity of God. Not that Jesus is God-like, not that Jesus is simply divine, but that Jesus is God. Colossians 2.9 says this. For in him, speaking about Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of God. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. The writer of Hebrews ties in the speaking in Jesus and the word, kind of like John does. Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke his word to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. That's why Jesus is the Word. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his Word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It says Jesus is the radiance of God. What's the difference between radiance and reflection? What does a reflector do? When you drive down the street and you see a reflector, what's a reflector doing? It's reflecting the light, right? Is the, is, the, is the reflector generating light? No, it's reflecting light. The word in the Greek text there is not that Jesus just reflects God's light. Jesus actually is the source and the radiation of God's light. And it says he's the exact imprint of God's nature. He, he is fully, absolutely God in the flesh. And so, there are three foundational things you need to understand about who Jesus is. Number one, He is the eternal Son of God. He's always existed in in eternity past as the Son of God. Number two, Jesus is a distinct person from the Father, but shares intimacy with the Father. And number three, Jesus is fully God. Now, you can go away from here today saying, man, I got some solid theology. I've got some Bible trivia about some ancient heresies. I know what modalism is now. I know what Arianism is now. I can go throw down some, 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 some terms here. But here's the question. What should these truths about Jesus produce in you this morning? Besides just, okay, I got a theology lesson from Pastor Sean about John 1. Really, what are these truths supposed to produce in you? Well, here's first of all. Number one... These truths should inform your mind to know Jesus more accurately. It's important for your mind to be informed by the Bible. We don't want you walking out of here with a false belief system. We don't want you walking out of here with with wrong theology. So yes, your mind needs to be filled with truth. We want our mind to be transformed by the scriptures. We want to walk out of here with strong theology. My goal is for you to walk out of here with your mind filled so that you know, okay, this is who Jesus is. I have an accurate view of the Trinity. I know what the Bible says. My mind has been transformed by the scriptures. I have my mind informed. But that's all I did this morning. You'd walk out here a bunch of theological eggheads and you'd have big minds. But you could have cold hearts. Here's number two. These truths should inflame your heart to worship him more passionately. Yes, it's one thing to have your mind filled with who the truth of Christ is, but that doesn't translate into worshiping him. If these truths about Jesus don't inflame your heart, if they don't rise up godly affections within you to where you're burning with love for Christ, where you want to know him more deeply, you want to love him more deeply, your heart's been inflamed, then, then, then you, haven't, you haven't experienced the fullness of what this text is telling us. So, so yes, we want our, our minds informed, but we also want our hearts inflamed. We want to passionately love Jesus. But that's not all. You guys could go out here and be filled with great theological knowledge, and you can go out here and be filled with great emotions. And that could last for just a little while. Here's the third thing. They should influence your will to obey him more consistently. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. When your mind is informed by who Jesus is, accurately and theologically, and your heart's inflamed with worship and passion, that's got to translate into your will living consistently in obedience to him every day of your life. So when you walk out of this place, yeah, I've got my mind filled, I've got my heart warmed, but man, I better live it out. I better obey more consistently. My will needs to be transformed to God's will. What's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Mark 12, 29 through 30. Jesus answered, Jesus answered, The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now let me just ask you a question. Can you do that with a God you do not know? How can you possibly love a God with every fiber of your being, your heart, mind, soul, strength, passion, mind, intellect, will, if you don't know who he is? How can you do this properly? How can you do this faithfully? How can you do this consistently if you haven't been exposed to the true Jesus of the Bible? So, Jesus is the fullness of God in the flesh. He's always existed as the eternal Son of God, and He is worthy of worship as the living Word. He's the very essence of who God is, and He's the very power of what God is going to accomplish in your lives. And so, the question is has your mind been informed? Has your heart been inflamed? And has your will been influenced? That's my goal for us over the next few months, year together as a church, that we would go deeper into who Jesus is. Yes, we're going to have our minds filled with great stories. And yes, we want to have our hearts warm to love him. And yes, we want to have wills and lives that obey him. Many of you have probably read the Chronicles of Narnia or maybe seen some of the movies and you know Aslan represents Jesus he's the big lion he represents the Jesus figure and Lucy's the youngest sister and, and Lucy and Aslan have kind of this 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 unique um kind of tender relationship with one another and then in Prince Caspian the second book Lucy first meets Aslan and the conversation goes like this Aslan said Lucy you're bigger That's because you're older, little one, said Aslan. She says, not because you are. And listen to what Aslan says. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. That's my prayer for us as we see Jesus on the pages of the Gospel of John. Every time we come back to John, Jesus will be bigger and bigger. And bigger and more glorious and more worthy of our worship, and we'll see things we've never saw before, and we'll be touched by things that, that jump off the page, and that every time we come back to the Gospel of John and we see Jesus, we will not say, "Man, I'm getting bored of Jesus. We will say, "He's gotten bigger." and he's gotten bigger, and he just keeps getting bigger and bigger. That's my prayer for us as a church, that we would be rooted in Jesus, and as we see Him come alive on the pages of the Gospel of John he would be bigger. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. There may be some of you here this morning that don't know Jesus personally. You don't know who he is. You, you, you may have just walked in this place this morning and, and really didn't have any idea why God brought you here or maybe you came with a friend or maybe you've come many, many times and, and you're just not sure. You've never actually had that experience in your life where you've fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You've repented of your sins. You've, you've owned up to your sins. You've confessed those sins and you've asked Jesus to forgive you of those sins and you've trusted him alone for salvation. What better day than to do it today? If you've never done that, I challenge you to pray to Jesus and ask him to open your heart and to reveal himself to you. For the rest of us here this morning, it may just be a matter that maybe Jesus has gotten boring. Or maybe Jesus has gotten stale. And we need to have our minds informed, we need to have our hearts inflamed and our wills influenced. That we would go out of this place with the joy that Jesus has become bigger. So whatever God may need to do in your heart this morning, would you spend some time silently before him, spending time in prayer, asking him to search your heart? By your word, Lord, it just blows my mind to think that you spoke the universe into existence by the power of your word. I I would have loved to, I wouldn't have been created yet, I'd love to be able to watch that. But in a sense, Lord Jesus, we have that power in front of us in Christ. He is the living word, full of grace and truth. If we've seen him, we've seen the Father. So Lord, I pray that we leave this place with transformed minds that are biblically informed about who Jesus is. And Father, I pray that we leave this place with hearts inflamed to worship Jesus more passionately. And Lord, wills that have been impacted and influenced to obey more consistently. Now, we'd be excited about seeing Jesus get bigger and bigger. And we'd love him and be rooted in him and go deeper into him. And Lord Jesus, would you do that in our hearts, to the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you minister to our hearts? Would you do only what you can do, and that is transform us from the inside out. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for letting us gather in a place like this to sing songs and to be together as a church family, to be encouraged, to hear the word preached. May we leave this place encouraged because we have met you this morning. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.